I am Zooming from the Nishinan and Maidu ancestral lands here in Sacramento, California. I'm already feeling like super emotional right now and I can feel it in my chest and my heart's beating really fast because like Rosa said, like this is the first time ever that like I've been able to have a safe space where I can share my story and like have people like really understand me and really see me. The reason why I wanted to start Masakata, it's because um, I'm gonna cry already. <laughs> um, growing up in the United States, um, I think a lot of us have forgotten because like things like the war and being pushed out and like how it is on the island. Like, I don't know what it's like, but I've heard stories and it's, we shouldn't forget. I guess that's why I decided to create Masakata. And um, it kind of ties into me meeting all of these badass Chamorro women on the internet during the pandemic. So I have the pandemic to thank for getting in, getting to know all of you. And um, it's just such an amazing space to be here. And I'm so glad that you're all here and we can all talk story and share our stories. For me, this all started actually with a dream. It was like in the middle of winter here. I don't know, maybe at the end of 2019. I just had this dream that I, I was asleep and I just saw myself going across the ocean. I crossed a toll. There was this, I knew that I was above Guahan and I saw these red hills and somehow I landed at this pier. And I don't know, there's lots of things going on, but at the end of the dream, I'm standing at the end of this pier and there's these three guys in jeans and a t-shirt. And I knew growing up in the military that they were Navy men. And it wasn't really my voice, but there was a voice and it said, you don't belong here. Get off this island, talking to the Navy men. When I woke up in the morning, I called my mom and she's like, babe, I think, you know, some, somebody's telling you something. I don't know who. So that kind of started me off on getting connected. Like what is going on in Guahan right now with the military, with like, I started looking like independent Guahan. I started following all these people on Instagram. And then eventually one day, um, there's this post that comes up about the Masakata Collective. And they're looking for people to write letters um, about the firing range that's being built on top of Guam's Aquifer. So that kind of introduced me to Masakata. And I wrote letters for um, against the buildup of the military. And now I just know that this is a place for me to you know, support what is going on back home in Guahan, in the Marianas. The people in the diaspora are people in the diaspora and are people in the Marianas.
it's just like so overwhelmingly beautiful and it feels like this cosmic just like love and feels like the stars are aligned with all of us being here together. The reason why I joined Masakata um, is because like Seska mentioned, um, we both live in um, the land of, well, for me, the Maidu and the Nisanan and um, I live in Sacramento, California, and she lives in um, San Diego. Sorry, I don't know the names of, um, you know, the original uh, the names of the land. Um, but so Seska, Kylie Taitano, and I connected um, through Miguel, who teaches the free um, tomorrow classes out of Guahan. And he had sent all three of us a message and said, hey, you know, I know you're running um, to be delegates um, for the California Democratic Party. Like, let's do a podcast if you feel comfortable. <clears throat> And the podcast isn't the reason that I that I joined the collective, but meeting um, meeting women, especially indigenous women who are leaders, women are the true leaders and have always been um, of, you know, really fighting to preserve our cultures and, um, you know, gain respect and, and take care and connect communities and connect people you know, to resources. And so I just, you know, I was touched by meeting um, Seska and Kylie and Vanessa. Um, and then like Seska mentioned with um, David reaching out through Allied Marianas, correcting us in our language and educating us really um, with humility and really engaging conversation and letting us have the chance to learn. Um, that's been really powerful. And joining um, is about a year ago, right after COVID hit, um, I had just randomly, it, it felt random, but I, you know, I, it was for a reason, had the realization that, oh my goodness, wow, I'm Tamaru, like, even though I'm mixed, I'm half white, I'm French, Polish, Irish, and then my mom's Tamaru, I've always kind of felt like someone who's been in between, like, I'm not allowed to belong fully to the Tamaru culture, and just being colonized growing up, and, you know, my, my mom and her siblings and my Nana and Tata had to assimilate moving to California. And so my mom and her siblings weren't taught our language. And so it's just been such an emotional experience of realizing like, this is who I am. I'm connected to all these amazing people and we deserve um, to help each other self-determine, uh, you know, people in Guahan and people across the Marianas, the Rafaluash. Um, I've just been so inspired by learning about everyone's resilience and, and fight to sustain um, our cultures and our languages and, and protect the land and the waters. It's It's been such a powerful experience decolonizing myself through learning the language and connecting with people across the diaspora. And I just really want to use my life force and my energy to help people protect and defend the land, waters, and each other um, just for the good of humanity. And so that's, that's why I've joined Masakata. My name is Rosa Berdalio, and I'm calling in from New York, from Brooklyn, uh, Lenapa Hoking. And the why of why I joined Masakata Collective. I think fundamentally the why is that I'm at a point in my life where I'm ready to give back to community as best I can. And I think that with everything going on now, you know, the highest need is decolonization, um, self-determination, it's, it's liberation. Sakata really resonated with me when I first learned about it. It's actually the fact that it, it is explicitly challenging militarization. Keep, you know, I, I've, I grew up around a lot of fear still, you know, among tomorrow's to speak out. 
against America, against the military. Um, we still celebrate Liberation Day. And this is such a deeply ingrained attitude or set of beliefs that I really struggled with in all my life um, because I, I was politicized at a fairly young age, I would say, uh, considering that I am Chamorro and um, you know so much of uh, growing up in Guam specifically means dealing with an education system that is actively like not trying to educate you. <laughs> I've had a long journey. I'm, I'm, I'm in my, I'm 30, gosh, I'm 37, 38 years old now, going to be 38. So, you know, I've had a long journey in terms of um, my political, uh, politis politicization, let's say, my political journey. But the, in the recent years, you know, what really, what, what the real distillation of it for me was that in recent years, I started to organize with indigenous people here, urban and, you know, urban Indians, uh, people living in New York, you know, who are native to, to Turtle Island, who are native to the Americas. And it, it was so impactful for me because it was the first time, I, I, I mean, I'm serious, it was really the first time I felt safe in, in a very real sense, living in New York, uh, considering I've been here since 2002, which is half my life now. So it was the first time I really felt safe was among indigenous people and, and really just a safe space just for indigenous people, right? Which is like rare. Okay. I mean, it's hard enough to find each other sometimes. So um, I feel like that whole experience, um, having community here on that, on that level was part of, was an important part of step in this journey for me because it really helped me feel like get in touch with my own feelings and um, a lot of uh, things I'd sort of been squashing down it's kind of silence you know because I'm from a big necessary step um, for me to contribute because I really want to get I really I really want to have that practice more of speaking out and speaking from experience, speaking as an individual, but also speaking as an individual who is speaking as an individual. It's like we're a collective of individuals, you know, speaking from my own unique experience, but, but understanding that so much of so many of us have been having similar experiences individually and, and maybe even feeling alone in these experiences, feeling isolated. So um, that's why. <laughs> so Sainam Asi, Sidiosam Asi. Everyone here for, for making a space where I really have been able to speak like that for the first time in my life, you know, in a sense. It's interesting. I'm underneath the fire alarm. <laughs> I think that's appropriate somehow because I think this is really an alarm. And we're in an especially alarming situation, even though for 500 years you've been strong under colonization. So again, I'm just very honored to be with all of you and grateful for all these non-children. And at this point, I'm, I'm always mas umpu. Um, and I've said before, and I'll say again, that um, I've spent essentially my entire adult life, if you call a 17-year-old starting college um, in the university until recently, and really struggled. Uh, once I put it together, what it meant to be tomorrow um, through the lens of sociology and through critical theories, not that all sociological theory is critical by any means. But I had to put it together and, and um, my eyes were really open because my first memories are actually of, of the diaspora of San Diego. 
And uh, Dr. Bennett, who was just here, Jesse Lujan Bennett, I know her master's degree, she talked about the settling of San Diego. And I think it's really important for um, both Suska and Kylie Titanoa, as, as well as, you know, Claire, to recognize that, you know, we were part of um, Manifest Destiny starting going through Turtle Island and then emerging into what was called the American Lake. So for the longest time, I was the first or only scholar and I was politicized enough, even though I think this is where, you know, sort of one of the contradictions of our culture is that we're taught to be very respectful, right? Of our elders. And then I learned that the elders, at least in the academy, were not people I needed to be respectful of. In fact, the opposite. I was always having to fight to establish this is important, you know, um, to look at this lens and was kind of like, oh, you know, kind of, oh, well, you're lucky to get in, you know, you should just sit there and be grateful. And I didn't feel that way by the time, especially by the time I got to graduate school. So um, the other reason that this fire alarm I think is so important and I'll, I don't think I can flip it around is I saw that Moneca de Oro is here and I wanted to say that um, aside from all the emerging issues with the Tetson and Allied Marianas, um, I'm really grateful as an educator to continue to keep learning about, you know, the paradigm shift of, oh, right, you know, it's not just about Guahana, it's about how 4,000 years ago we were all united, our archipelago. So I'm grateful for that. But Monica, there was a day that you put up um, a single word on your Instagram. And I don't know if it was a public or a private and you just put done. And that's when I really, you know, I, I imagine that you guys, especially on Island have been fighting for so long. And what I continue to advise students, both students I had in the academy who were first generation black indigenous, queer, et cetera, is that the, the institution doesn't care if you burn yourself out. The institution wins. Because when you burn yourself out and you take with you all that institutional memory, then somebody else has to start all over again, right? And we need to build our own institution. So knowing how critical Monica was and, and, and the importance of your leadership and your voice and the way we do all as activists use our bodies in the fight and our spirits, everything. And when I saw that, I was really crushed because even though I've never met you, I thought we're really in trouble. And the folks in the diaspora has so much mahaling. Um, the first time I'm almost, I won't say I'm inured, but I'm so accustomed to the tears now um, because I, I curated a meeting um, that ended up going into an essay for um, a zine. I honestly thought, so it was all the Chamorro women I had met in, um, in Maget Bavako's class. And I said, okay, I'm so tired of like getting on the chat and asking people because as a sociologist and an activist is like, I wanted to learn my language so badly, but I also wanted to know the stories. You know, I wanted to hear the migration stories. I wanted to hear what people were going through. And so when I put together the Zoom meeting, I thought, okay, it's gonna be like an hour and a half, right? And the half hour was, was allocated for long tomorrow goodbyes. Right, because they're all esta, esta, especially in person. You know, you're 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 amening everyone, you're saying goodbye. But um, the meeting lasted three hours, and it was silent the whole time, except for the individual stories that were being told and the weeping, the weeping. And we all learned so much from one another. 
in terms of you know people being located in different places, but there was so much overlap in our stories. And although Chamorro, I said this before in the meeting that Chamorro scholars always talk about the centrality and we will too about inafamalit. We are not an individualist achievement oriented people. We, we emphasize interdependence and, the, and that you know, even our definition of leadership is not based on an individual person striving, but of all of us just figuring out what needs to be done and then doing it. And I, I really want to shout out again, you know, all the Chamal aunties through the years who did that, whose hands, you know, prepared the casitas, who healed us, you know, the Zamte, you know, who just cared for us, who made us laugh. Even the ones I did have a mean auntie, actually. That's funny. I, auntie Faye <laughs> was Auntie Faye. I'm still scared of her and she's gone. <laughs> but so I think for tomorrow's in the diaspora who are really yearning to have deep conversations about the way we continue to be fundamentally connected to the island, but also different, that we have different challenges growing up. Um, but they all derive from the same source, that we are not. Hawaiian, that we're not Latinx, we're tomorrow, and we're proud of that, right? So I think Masakara is also a space that really wants to fight for reunification emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and politically, and essentially not just reunification, but de uh, decolonization, right? So I just continue to be amazed at how brilliant um, all of you are not just, and, and I'm not just talking about the technical skills because I love Vanessa, but I always was like, this is Masakata is something I, I was dreaming of for the long time. I told Johnny, it's like, I want something that is unapologetically decolonial. I put 20 some years into the academy. I'm not going to explain one more time that you saying you don't see race is white privilege. I'm done with that. I get that we're not all going to understand and always be of one mind, but we will be gentle with each other. We will teach each other. We will learn with each other. But I'm done with that. I did my time. Um, it was thankless. And so from beginning to end, my own journey was really driven by wanting to affirm my parents, their hard work, affirm their journey, affirm my people. And so... I often say I've been waiting 30 years for all of you, and it's true. And sometimes if I go off and I might seem silly, it's not, it, it's just pure endorphins. It's like bubbles in such a good way, popping like champagne. It's like, oh my God, they're here. And they are so much more brilliant than I ever imagined. And so beautiful. And just the babao, hearing the words, the names, the clans, babauta, dede. You know, someone who gets my joke about, about my dad saying, is Jesus there? And responding to <laughs> the solicitor, no, he's not here right now. Was he coming back? Yes, but he didn't say when, but I believed him. And then he says, okay, goodbye, click. And my dad just laughed, right? For you guys to get that joke, for Vanessa to say she laughed so hard when I posted the joke on Father's Day for my dad, who is now passed. I just, I just know my parents, um, who I'm so close to, and who were such respectful people to their parents, even when my, my grandparents weren't that nice to them, necessarily, you know, 
I know that they have intervened to bring me together with all of you, starting with Zoni, Leon Guerrero, through Mia, through Daz, who I can't wait to meet, through Vanessa, through Tamika, through see Chelsea, who always accuses me of having a machete. So even just now when Joni and I said goodbye, I didn't want to let go. Because this has been um, a meeting, not just a year in the making, but a lifetime in the making. So we want to make sure for the nannies that are being born, like you see Vanessa's nanny there, your, your nephew or niece, all the babies, that they don't have to start with nothing. That the, that the inical fleet even need to really be seen and the need to not to have to explain, no, I'm not from Guatemala. <laughs> doesn't happen because at least that we'll do everything in our power to make sure it doesn't happen anymore. So God bless you all. I'm quite the hum too. I'm, I'm so grateful to each of you. And um, so, send Bunny Dosa. What is hum too? I'm so grateful. And again, even if I get the Chamorro wrong, I always like to say, I, will, I refuse to apologize for my broken Chamorro because I'm not the one who broke it. So let's just keep working on it. Um, and God bless you all and thank you for being here. Okay, the goal is to not cry in this lobby <laughs> again. Um, uh, I think, oh, my name, hi, I'm Mia. Um, I think for me, it started a couple years ago, just really learning about what's happening on island and all of the things with the climate, with the people just, <laughs> Yeah, oh, thank you. I need to tell myself it's okay to cry. Um, but just learning all about what's happening. And I remember I was about a junior, senior in high school and I was learning about it and I just felt so upset. But also it was a thing of, I didn't know what to do about it. And then, um, so I just carried that feeling with me for so long that, um, I'm sorry, I keep crying. I'm so emotional, <laughs> but um I just carried that feeling so long that I need to do more um, and that uh, I wasn't doing enough. And so um, on a brighter note, <laughs> after doing the classes and meeting all of these people, um, I was I saw Masakata on my Instagram and I thought, um, I was like, wow. And I looked into it and it was exactly what I've been looking for. Because um, for me, it was a way to finally give back to this community that's given me so much. Um, and I'm super grateful for that. <laughs> and honestly, as I go through these meetings and um, I text these people that I've met and just even this, it's like this overwhelming feeling. Um, <laughs> it's the feeling that's making me cry right now too. It's just, it feels right. And it feels like something that um, I'm supposed to do, which is really good. And um, I'd like to think it's my ancestors, but yeah. <laughs> and also I'm like ugly crying really badly in this lobby, <laughs> which was against the goal, but that's okay. Because like I said, just as I go through these meetings and as we continue, it's just this overwhelming feeling of this is the right thing. And it's this, what's driving me to cry? Or sometimes I'll be driving home and I'll just think about my family and it brings me to tears again. It's just that same feeling in my body that this is supposed to be happening and this is important. So that's why I'm here and I'm so grateful for everyone's here. Um, 
I think, like it was said earlier, there's a lot of insecurities that I carried into here, but just being surrounded by such uplifting, strong, and loving individuals um, who really embody what Masakata is. It's so amazing and so grateful. I was, I grew up um, with my Nana, who was a World War II survivor, and I shared a room with her in high school. And she survived horrible atrocities, but she also loved to laugh. And I remember one night she woke up, actually it happened quite often, but I didn't realize it until we started sharing a room. But she would have nightmares in the middle of the night and she would get up and she would, sometimes she would cry out and she would go and she would pray the rosary and, you know, and she saw her day all over again. And, um, you know, she really instilled so much pride in being tomorrow. I was really relating to what Vanessa was saying about uh, her father, just really instilling that pride too, because I also felt like that. I think he was always homesick for Guam ever since he joined the military. And he too taught me to draw coconut trees and the Guam seal. And in fact, I have a a drawing he did when he was in basic training. I still have that to this day. Um, and so my, my siblings and I, we grew up drawing those coconut trees too. And I think like my grandmother passed away six years ago. And I'm sorry, when she passed away, I had this overwhelming feeling that there was nobody to pass on her stories or, um, you know, and I felt this feeling that as our, as our elders start being called home, we were going to lose our connection to our culture, especially here in the diaspora. Um, and then of course there's the issue of militarization. So in order to preserve our culture, there's this grave threat to our people um, at all times. So I think for me, there was a very clear um, objective of needing to push back against the military because um, there, I mean, who are we? We're this small percentage of people taking on like the biggest army in the whole world. <laughs> but if we don't fight back, nobody will. So when, um, when Vanessa started Masakata, I was like, there's no, this is exactly what we've all been needing, especially here in the diaspora, because, you know, I would write to different organizations in Guam via email and I'd be like, your time, like, is there any way we can get a recording of the meeting? Or is there any way we can get involved? And there's just no, there's just always this sort of like um, impenetrable like wall where like, we want to help and be part of the conversation. Also, you know, that connection to our culture is so important. And we talk about these other cultures, other diasporas here in the States and the way they develop their own cultures. But we have this unique thing where we are still so connected to ours and it's really important to, to maintain that connection. Um, and I really see Masakata as a space where we can strengthen those bonds and um, 
and and continue to learn and pass on. In fact, like when we were doing our, a group of us tomorrow women got together um, and we made um, more and more. Um, and uh, I think Monyeka was the one who taught uh, Lily Gill, who taught us and that came directly from Guam, you know? So that was a really special moment because we felt so connected to the island. Um, and so we can, we can remain connected um, and we need to continue to be so. So I'm grateful for the space and I hope we will continue to have conversations directly with our siblings on island um, and, and continue to fight for our ancestral homeland. I have so much family back home and I never felt like, oh, I'm just in the diaspora and um, you know, what happens on island doesn't affect me. I've never felt that way. I mean, we always were, we're always hearing the news and we're, I, you know, I remember recently, I think it was last year or something, there was some high alert that maybe North Korea was going to bomb Guam or something. And I was, I remember being with some American friends and being like, oh, you know, I'm really, really concerned. And then just kind of being like, not really getting that your family is like, you know, at the front lines, holding the front lines so you can have this liberty um, and not, and then not really caring, which is just so, that's traumatizing for us, you know? So having a space where I can be around other people who, who understand that has been really important and transformative really. Um, and I'm just grateful for you all and I'm grateful for the space and um, I'm sorry for also ugly crying. <laughs> I'm glad I'm at home. I'm glad to Hamzu and Sadismaasi Chelsea. Growing up back home, I never felt able to speak up about specific things. And as a kid, it emotionally hurt me, but as an adult, I clearly see why. Our islands have been forcefully silenced, which created self-silencing generations later. Our elders were raised during World War II, where they were forcefully silenced. Our parents were raised being taught and in an environment of silencing things that have real effects on our ways of living. As their children and grandchildren today, we are not silenced any longer. We have many tools and access to speak in different ways and yes, it is hard in all its ways, but the generation today has a unique opportunity never given before to change the narrative, to educate, stand up, and speak up for. It sounds like a lot when we take it on our own, but together is where we need to be. I appreciate and I'm so grateful for my elders and, I, and my family. They loved me and took care of me. They gave me a safe life where I can be able to take action on all the world has to offer and to make something of it. I was a happy kid, but there just wasn't a safe space for me to open up how I needed to truthfully and vulnerably without feeling like I was shaming the family or talking against my elders. So investing myself in a certain space with people is so important to me. I no longer accept anything that treats me less than and finding true spaces to provide that is everything. 
Finding Masakata and the people who make up Masakata has been a crucial part of my pandemic experience and reshaped my life for the better. Masakata and the people I've met this past year has helped me reach trench deep roots of suffering in a way I have yet to address or reach before. It's important for me to do my healing work so I can then remind our peoples to do the same. And so I really have to thank the 2020 global pandemic for sheltering me in place to be still and to extract all distractions in my life so I can pay attention and really see what's going on with this pandemic. I started seeing how Guam was suffering through the pandemic. Kids were overdosing, people were killing others, houses going on fire, homelessness rising, community organizations forced to shut down to, to, due to lack of funding to keep the doors open, and it put me in a fast tunnel that reflected all my 30 years of life, the first 18 on island and I could see. I've seen it before, but this year it was Inigo Vision. We've been in a pandemic pre-2020, and of course we knew that, but... Did we ever apply action to this knowing? And so I made a choice. I made a choice to go back to my roots, even if I wasn't root rooted home base. So I was lucky to come across the free online Chamorro classes by Professor Miguel Bavacqua, which led me to meet so many Chamorros. I could feel the deep mahalang for the island. Then I made a choice to continue learning, so I invested in virtual spaces like social media. I stopped looking at it as a social platform and started looking at it as a peer platform for me to be able to reach, connect, and share with my people and the people throughout the world. I found um, Four Micronesians by Micronesians by Angela Davis. I learned more about Kathy Kitchener, learned more about the Bikini Atoll, the Famalawan who are my peers that are showing up every single day. All the connected dots through our history. Everything is intentional. The language and or the confidence to speak on decolonization, self-determination, inner community violences wasn't the language I could speak on before or even understood as a kid. And if it was talked about, there was always a disconnection with no results due to everyone fighting for having different opinions, which will harm us more than help us. When it comes to our basic rights, there should never be questioning about it. So that's why I joined Masakata, to have a safe space with people that I trusted to be able to heal myself and have community. But it didn't stop there. Once the healing continued, I started standing and speaking for others. I started feeling confident that even though I have a lot to learn, I can make mistakes that my peers and my elders would teach me humbly without telling everyone else that they schooled me or made fun of me because these are things I should know. A space where we can organize and bring long-term results here in the Micronesian diaspora by taking tiny steps every day because it won't ever stop and nobody is coming. We have to do it for ourselves. So to close, Hafadez and Tiro, Guahusi Chelsea, Teltel Tanudzu, and I joined Masakata Collective because I believe in Masakata. I joined to be a part of standing up to and ending everything that goes against my people. I joined to use my voice and to take action, to deliver a message, to educate Micronesian stigmas like how the women who show up to protect your water, our water, our children's water, 
or the same woman that we are physically, mentally, emotionally, and verbally abusing in some way, their community. They're going through a they're going through all of this alone because there is a lack of family or community support for their work, which in your eyes is fighting against the military, but to them it is fighting for their children's basic human rights. I'm grateful we are using our platforms to defend and protect our world. If you are too tired to do it for yourself anymore, then do it for the children. We always say we protect our children, but I don't think we comprehend how crucial it is to act on it. The actions we take today will create the future of our youth. And right now, like Julianne Nungan says in The Properties of Perpetual Light, we have about 10 years to get our collective shit together, curb our emissions, and ensure the future habitability of the earth. Ensure there actually is a future. When the land is ill, the water heals. So Fanogi, Tamoru, and share our stories through our voices and share who we are because it is time and it is needed. This chant is um, from the group Ifan and the Lion and it's called Nana Nanao, which means my mother's mother. And really thinking and leading into all your stories and remembering that you aren't just you, but you carry so much within you all the way from the homelands here. All your ancestors are with you, guiding you, protecting you, and loving you. mothers, 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 and as Chamorro women, we come from a very matriarchal and matrilineal lineage where land and values and this responsibility, innate responsibility towards our people and for our resources is just deeply embedded in who we are and how we navigate, no matter where we are in the world. And the term Masakata wasn't one as that I grew up in, I was fortunate enough to return home in my childhood after my father was in the military. Um, and it wasn't one that I heard of and learned about growing up. It's a word that was lost and not used. And I think my mom first heard of this word in Polly Eric's blog. Um, and it means brave women. And I was 
surrounded by wonderful Chamorro women my whole life. My dad has seven sisters. My Nana has seven sisters. My mom has two amazing sisters that were educators and deeply influential in my life. And um, I have four sisters. So I come from a family of five sisters. So Chamorro women were in no short supply, especially strong-minded. The historians and the explorers that came never wrote down the name of any women. Really, I think there's just one or two women. We have so many male chiefs that were written about Harau, Gado, so many that have also passed down through our oral stories, but there hasn't been a name of a Chamorro woman, really, a chiefess or um, who was saved in our archives. And for us to, despite being nameless, blameless, and kind of even erased from history, we are still here and we are very much still powerful and very much still um, presenting ourselves wherever we are in the world as a force and as a place for people to be safe and even healed. Loving Chamorro women and also that mean auntie is also very much a part of my life, but she was mean for purpose. And uh, that term just makes me revere and remember that all of them, all of those wonderful women who've done so much and sacrificed so much and also always had a deep faith in a higher power, a deep connection to our land, um, lives and resides within me. And I, it, they guide, are here to guide me and, and it's still even beyond the, into the next realm. And, this term Masticlata and this group initiative really attracted me because it's one that I have felt being in the movement on Guam, that the women are the ones who are leading the resistance and who are strategizing and on the front lines of protecting our lands and sacred waters from existential threats, whether it be climate change or militarization or overdevelopment and just loss, general loss of the value of that massacre wisdom that's so alive within me and within my family and my sisters. And to see this wonderful collective come together um, just really drew me to them this morning and listening to everybody's stories was a really beautiful way to start my journey here in the CNMI to be reconnecting and cultivating a sacred connection for uh, myself and hoping to um, show others and encourage others to do the same on um, this a sacred voyage and a medicine voyage um, on this 500th anniversary of our contact with uh, colonial forces in the year 2021. Um, so I'm grateful and honored and really just enjoy in this moment to be in, to be here with you all.